right. Good morning, Faith Church. <laughs> miracles on miracles, a million little miracles. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. That's stick in your head, won't it? Miracles on miracles. A million little miracles. Come on, say it. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. What a powerful thought. I mean, take for a minute and just think about all of the ways that, man, God blesses our life. Let's just take a moment and think about, man, all the ways that God is good, all the ways that he shows up, all the ways that he brings us through. Come on, is anybody thankful for a good God in our life, man, that shows up and is faithful? You know, I know that probably that that is not our default setting. Our default setting is not to think about the goodness of God, right? A lot of times, I don't think we always count our, we always probably count our our struggles instead of our strength. We're much better at counting the ways we fail instead of the ways God gives us victory, right? I mean, think about it in our lives as we go through our day-to-day, it's much quicker to pop on our radar when we have lack instead of all the ways that God provides, Like, we'll complain one day when our car doesn't start, but we don't realize God gave us a car that started 927 days in a row. Come on, it's like our default setting is to see the lack, the struggle, but think about all of the ways that God continues to show up, to show out, to bless us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to forgive us. Come on, is anybody here thankful for the goodness of God? I want to ask you this question today as we jump in. When was the last time God blew your mind? When was the last time God, when you thought about who he is, when you looked at what he's done, that it just absolutely blew your mind? Now, some of you, you might struggle and think, man, I don't know when the last time, I don't know if God's ever really blown my mind. And and I would challenge you to say this. I don't think it's for lack of action on his part. I think it's probably lack of recognition on our part. Because I think if we're really honest and I think if we lean in, I think we can really see God's fingerprint, God's power, God's strength all over our life, our spiritual journey, and our relationship with him. Again, but I think a lot of times we just aren't paying attention. And so today I want to lean into that conversation. Everybody say, blow your mind. I want you to leave today with that on your radar, not your lack, but your provision, not your struggle, but your strength, not your failures, but your victories. Come on, I want you just to leave this place with an encouragement that you have a God fighting on your side, for you and through you. Come on, you have victory in your path. You have strength in your struggle. Come on, somebody. I want you to leave with your mind absolutely blown by the goodness of God. We're in a series right now entitled Mind Mods. The whole idea is, again, these mind modifications that we need. And this is one where we need to modify the way that we think. So we're looking at popular cultural catchphrases and looking at what God's Word has to say about them. Week one, we talked about mind your own business. Some of you haven't really been doing that one yet, but we're on week three. Catch up. (laughs) Last week, we talked about change your mind, that part of our spiritual journey is is changing the way we think. We see things one way, and Jesus comes into our life, and we see life. We see who we are. We see who God is with a whole new lens and framework. We change our mind. Again, we're going to talk about today, um, blow your mind. My name is Steve Husky, lead pastor. It's great to have all of you guys here in Florence. Can we show some love for Lawrenceburg? Come on. Good to have you guys in the house. Everybody watching online, man, we're so glad that you're joining us again today for week three of Mind Mods. So here's a conversation I want to have for a moment. A lot of us in this room, we either have kids or have had kids. We went through the process of trying to raise them. And how many people know, man, it's tough raising kids? It's it's just a challenge. And listen, the moment you give up, you're, you're out. Like, it's just enduring. You have to keep at it, keep pressing, keep pushing. 
And a lot of it is just kind of the simple things, things we're trying to ingrain in our children. We're trying to teach our kids principles, trying to give them character. And a lot of times it feels like it's not paying off until, you know, there's times, man, you see it shine through and you feel like, I did something, you know. But think about some of the basics of raising kids is just teaching them simple manners. As Barney, the great prophet Barney once said, please and thank you, that's the magic words. It's in the Gospel of Nickelodeon, if you guys don't remember where that's at. <laughs> Please and thank you. I mean, think about that. How many times, and you, you know this is true, I have three kids who, who are grown, one teenager, two young adults, but how many times over and over and over we would say those words, please and thank you, please and thank you, when they would ask for something, we wouldn't give it to them until they said please, and after, they gave, after we would give it to them, like we would make sure they would say, come on, say it, thank you, and you would teach them that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, say thank you. And you would know there would be those moments like you're going over to your relative's house for Christmas, grandparents are there. You know, your grand, you know their grandparents are going to give those kids something. So before you go into the house, like you give them the pep talk. Okay, now listen, what have I taught you? So when you open the gift, you make sure you tell your grandma and grandpa, you make sure you tell them thank you. And then the big moment comes, like you eat the food, and then you sit in front of the tree, and like Junior opens the package, and he looks at it, and you're like, come on, he better say it. You better say it. I'm going to kill you when we get home. You're like, you're, you're trying to get his attention and mouth it. Say it. Thank you. You better say thank you. And they don't say it. And you got to say it. Okay, what do you say? And then they say it with like the least conviction. Thank you. I, I want you just to think about this for a second. Again, so as parents, we feel like it's our responsibility to raise our kids. And part of that is giving them character. Part of that is giving them. But here's, here's a question. I want you to just think about this. Why is it that we want our kids to say thank you? Is it just to keep us from, from embar- is it just to keep them from embarrassing, embarrassing us in public? Is it, just, is it just so they're culturally acceptable? Is it just so they're doing what everybody else is doing? I mean, is really, is it what we want? Do we want our kids just to be like parents? Bah, thank you. Like we just we feel better if they say those words. Like, is that the goal to just get them to parrot two words? I would just venture to say that probably what we want for them is something far deeper. We're not trying to teach them to say two words. We're trying to teach them to walk with gratitude. Why? Here's why. Because without gratitude, we overlook what others do for us, and we overestimate what we can do for ourselves. Everybody say gratitude. Like gratitude is this ability to look outside of yourself, to really see the contributions of others, and to see that, come on, we need other people in our life. Let me give you just a couple quick examples, right? In school, a lot of you maybe here are students. All of us in this room probably have been students. We all remember the day when like the nine weeks was over and you'd get your report card. And some of us, how many of you guys, you got your report card and you couldn't wait to get home because you got A's and B's and you couldn't wait till mom and dad patted you on the back. Wait, come on, own it. Wait, there's all the nerds right there. How many people got the report cards and you thought, how can I stay out as late as possible and not get grounded because you didn't want to go home? Wait a minute. Amen. We're glad you're catching up with the rest of society. But here's the thing. For us, no matter what your grades are, but especially if you got good grades or you get good grades, you look at those good grades and you're like, look what I did. And we feel this pride because we can celebrate like, I worked for those A's. I got those B's. I earned that. 
I got that degree. I finished that. I finished that education. I, I got my bachelor's. I got my master's. I got my PhD. And we look at it. And while that's true, there's no way you're getting A's and B's without lots of hard work. While that's true, what I need you to know today is there needs to be some gratitude because while those are your grades and you earned them, what about the educators? Could you have gotten A without good educators educating you, encouraging you, loving you throughout the journey? No, what I'm telling you is while those grades are yours, other people contributed to you getting the good grades that you got. Let's talk about a job for a second. We all know this is true, that there's different kinds of people in the world. There's people who are lazy and people who just do the bare minimum to get by, and there's people that are excelling, people who are pushing themselves, people that have discipline and passion and dreams. And some of you in this room, that's you, man. You have a job and you're, you're rolling. You've got, you've got uh, contracts coming up. You've got promotions and you're pushing yourself. And you can pat yourself on the back because you can say, when other people are calling off, I'm showing up. When other people are going home early, I'm staying late. When other people are putting in half effort, I'm going overtime because I've got big things I want to see accomplished. And you can look at your, your trajectory in your career and you can take some self-pride and credit and say, man, look what I've done. But at the same time, high people know that we need some gratitude because while that was your hard work, high people know you wouldn't have hard work unless an employer gave you a job to work hard at. And if it's your business, I just know this, you probably couldn't have the business you had unless you had some good employees that were showing up putting in work. I I'm thankful that we have a great church, thousands of people, two campuses, soon to be three. And here's what I want to know is I work hard as your pastor. I put in lots of time. I believe God's given me the capacity and the ability to be a visionary and a leader. But I recognize that this isn't just me. It takes hundreds of volunteers. It takes all kinds of incredible staff with gifts and talents. Like, well, I want to say, look what I've done. I got to pull back and say, no, look what we've done. Come on, is anybody with me? But let me just ask the question, where is God in all of that? Because while we look at good grades and careers and churches, you better believe, come on, I, I wouldn't even have good grades if I wasn't put in a country that had an education system that I could be a part of. I wouldn't even get good grades if it wasn't God who gave me the capacity to learn and a brain to grow. Come on, I wouldn't even be a job if God didn't give me a job, God didn't give me favor. Come on, my, my resume didn't show up just because of how smart I am, but because of how good he is. Come on, this is all to the glory of God. This isn't about a visionary leader or good people who love to serve and give. This is about a good God who's doing a good work in the middle of the shoals and in middle Tennessee to reach lost people. Come on, what about God? Come on, we ought to allow our mind to be blown at the goodness of God of how he's moving in our lives from everything from the ordinary things like school grades all the way up to our job and everything in between. God is moving. Have you thought about how good God is, how faithful he is? Have you thought about the strength that he gives you? Have you thought about the opportunities that he's opened for you? Have you thought about every day you wake up in grace? Have you thought about the providence of God in your life? You say, what's providence? You are where you are for one of three reasons. When I say you are where you are, I mean in all the things you have, while you have struggles, you have strength. While you have some failures, come on, how many people know you got some victories? While you have some lack, how many people know you got plenty of provision? You are who you are and where you are for one of three things. Either your life is a random mutation of a whole lot of accidents, or you're totally responsible, just it's all you. Or I would venture to say it's not random accidents and it's not how good you are. We are where we are. We are who we are. We are experiencing what we're experiencing because, again, there is a good God who is involved actively in our life 24-7, 365. And if you'll get your mind around it, it will be blown. Without gratitude, 
Without gratitude, again, you'll overlook the contribution of others, and you'll overestimate what you can do for yourselves. So it's this idea, as we lean into what God is doing, man, we'll start to show him some gratitude. Some gratitude. And I'm just telling you, gratitude, you know what gratitude is? Gratitude is a catalyst to praise. A lot of us, we show up and we sing songs and we lift our hands. You know why? Because we like the song. You know what real praise is? Is when you show up and it's not about the song you're singing. It's about the passion you have for the God who's shown up. And man, I'm singing because God is good and God has been faithful and God made a way and God's delivered me. I don't have the addictions I had. I'm not struggling where I used to struggle. God has blessed me. God's provided for me. Come on, we sing. Come on, because of the gratitude we have towards a good God. And so gratitude is not just a catalyst of praise for what he's done in the past. Really, it's a catalyst. It's a Catalyst of prophecy for what God's going to do in the future. Because here's what I know. The Bible says that God is the same. Everybody say he's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the God who got you through yesterday, when you're struggling tomorrow, you know what, what's going to happen? He's going to get you through tomorrow. The God who provided yesterday, come on, you know what's going to happen? He's going he's to provide for tomorrow. Come on. So every time I have gratitude towards the goodness of God in my life, I'm saying, God, I'm going to praise you for that. But I'm going to look forward to what you're about to do in the season I'm stepping into so what I want you to know today, come on, Florence and Lawrenceburg, is if, if you got some good things in your life and you do, you just got to pay attention. It ought to bring us to this place. So we start losing our mind, getting our mind blown because of his goodness, and it ought to set you up to expect God to show up in the season you're stepping into to bring you to the other side. Come on, everybody shout gratitude. Come on, y'all. I'm bringing it today. Y'all ought to come with me. I want to lean into a story in Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can follow the verses on the screen. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 4. Let me just set this up real quick. So many of us, we know some of the biblical history or the story of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, God's people came out of Abraham. Many of us know that the nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God sent Moses to deliver them out of the hand of Pharaoh. And God had a promise for him. God said, listen, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, but I'm going to take you into the promised land. And so it was Moses' job to bring them out. They came out of Egypt into the wilderness. And because the people God delivered from Egypt couldn't believe for the promised land, a whole generation died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. I just want you to know that if you have unbelief, it'll keep you from where God wants to take you. And when you get a view of who God is and what he can do, it starts to do something with that unbelief so you can go where God wants you to go. And so they go from Egypt into the wilderness, and you get to the end of the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books, the Torah, they're the story from the beginning of creation until Moses, the deliverer of Israel, dies at 120 years of age. In the nation of Israel is coming, getting ready to come out of the wilderness into the promised land. And God does something really, really cool. And it's not the first time he's done it, but earlier, some of you might remember the story when they're coming out of Egypt, they have to cross the Red Sea. Anybody remember that story? Y'all don't really appreciate it because like they crossed on dry ground. Anybody ever been in an aquarium before? I mean like the big aquariums. I don't mean like the Walmart with the goldfish in a box. I mean like, the, like you got a wall of glass and sharks are going by you. Anybody ever been in a place like that? Like that was them, but there was no glass. They could have, like walls of water, they could have reached in and grabbed the fish. They had sushi on the way to the promised land. That's what I'm trying to tell you. 
God parts the Red Sea. They go out of Egypt into the wilderness as the nation of Egypt, the army's chasing them. Once they get to the other side, God closes the water and swallows up God's enemies. Woo! And because, again, when you recognize what God does, gratitude is not just the catalyst of praise, but come on, it's a catalyst for prophecy. God doesn't just do that miracle once. He does it twice. Because not just when they're coming out of Egypt into the wilderness, but now we're about to read as they're coming out of the wilderness into the promised land. God parts now, not the Red Sea, but the Jordan River. And the nation of Israel walks across on dry land again. And here's the story. Joshua, now the leader in succession after Moses, he's the one leading the nation. And here's what God tells Joshua. Joshua 4, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And so Joshua called together the 12 men that he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. Everyone here read this with me. Lawrenceburg, every voice, come on. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, come on, every voice read it. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Come on, read that last part again. These stones are to be a, to the for forever. I want you to see this. So as they're crossing, God gives Joshua very specific instructions. I want you to notice, though, verse 1, listen, because this is profound and hopefully will speak to lots of us. It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Is there anybody here, man, you're glad to be on the other side? You were in a tough spot, a difficult place. Maybe COVID was hard on you mentally, physically, in your relationship. But come on, you've come to the other side. Is anybody thankful? Come on, you've made it. Come on, that's the goodness of God. You finished crossing. But I want you to notice, he says, the whole nation, which means some of you aren't there yet. And you're still barely keeping your head above water, and you're struggling in some circumstances. What I want you to know is that they crossed in a line in a group of people, which means there's some people that made it to the other side while some other people were still in the middle of the Jordan. What I want you to see was God was faithful to get every single one of them to the other side. So while some of you are celebrating, you made it to the other side, and you should. Some of you don't feel like you can celebrate, and you should, because the fact that your brother or sister sitting beside you are celebrating, they made it to the other side. You have your, the same Heavenly Father who's going to help you get to the other side. Let's go. Everybody say gratitude. So here's the story. Like they're crossing on dry ground, walls of water beside them. And God stops and tells Joshua, he says, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. He says, before you get to the other side, he said, I want you to get 12 men, and I want you, as they're crossing, I want one of each of the 12 men to grab a stone, and I want them to carry each of those 12 men, I want you to carry those 12 stones to the other side of the Jordan, and then I want you to build a rock monument at the place you camp tonight. Why? Well, he tells them, in fact, God uses two different words, and they're both important. Verse 6, he says this. He says, these, these stones serve as a sign. Everybody say a sign. 
What he was saying was this. We've all been in nature. We've all been walking down the road, playing as a kid and out, out in the backyard. Or, you know, some of you go camping. I don't know why. We have a perfectly good house to live in. You want to sleep in a tent, but you be you, boo. And we've all seen like just random piles of rocks and just nature put them there. Water and the different forces of nature cause those rocks and there's no meaning there. They just, they're just there. And what God was telling the people of Israel was he was saying this. He's saying, I want you to build, I want you to build a very specific pile that when you see the rocks, they say something. That those rocks didn't get there on accident. Those rocks are there on purpose. Well, what purpose do they serve? Well, verse 7, God uses a second word. The first word is sign. The second word, he says, these stones are to be a memorial. Everybody say a memorial. What he was saying was these stones tell a story. That when you see the stones, they're going to tell you the story. What story? That God was good. That God, opened the Red, that God opened the Red Sea and now God opened the Jordan River. That God caused them to cross over. That God gave them the victory. That God kept his promise to go into the promise. Come on, what he was saying was, I want you to look at the stones and remember the story that you serve a good God. Don't lose your gratitude. Come on, somebody. Allow your mind to be, continue to be blown at his goodness. I know this is uh, true in my, in my own life. I got lots of, uh, lots of examples, but one that I think speaks the loudest is uh, here's a picture. I actually got this uh, on, Google, on Google Earth. Uh, it's because I didn't want to drive to Akron to get it. Most of you guys know I'm from Akron, and this is a picture of a building that I hit when I was 16 years old. The building didn't move. I did. <laughs> so uh, most of you guys know my story. You know, I, I grew up um, just making a lot of bad decisions, very, uh, very active in drugs and alcohol on a regular basis. Like, I didn't just party a couple times a year. Like, I got high every day before school. I got high every day at lunch. Um, and so this was out. I was out on a Friday, Friday or Saturday night, about 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I had stopped at a store, a convenience store. I'm 16 years old. had stopped at a convenience store to get a pack of cigarettes, 7-Eleven. We don't have them down here, but just a little convenience store. The type of place that's open at 2 o'clock in the morning sells 16-year-old cigarettes. <laughs> it's the kind of place it was. And so I walked in this place, and I'll never forget, there was a kid I went to school with. We were really good friends. His name was Jason. Jason's like, hey, Steve, will you give me a ride home? And I'm like, well, sure. So he gets in the car with me. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty drunk. And so, you know, like any dumb 16-year-old, I show off. So I want this kid to see how fast my car can go. So I'm doing about 85 or 90 miles an hour down a, about a 30, 35-mile-per-hour road. And I took a hard left turn and never let off the gas. That wall is actually on the opposite side, so I'm headed this way. The building you're looking at is this way. My car swung out, caught traction, and hit the back of this building. Uh, I moved the entire foundation of that building six inches. What I want you to see is if you look on the bottom right-hand corner, can you see that brick is all replaced and it's not like the other brick? The brick to the left is very textured. The brick on the right is, is very flat. So I've seen this now when I go home. I still drive by this area. It's still in the neighborhood I grew up. <clears throat> and I see that, and those stones tell a story. They don't tell anybody else's story. Anybody else who doesn't know the story, they just see the foundation of a building. But those stones tell my story because that's a story that reminds me of my foolishness and God's faithfulness. That I was a dumb kid making dumb decisions, and I could have lost my life because I hit that building going fast enough to move the foundation six inches, but I didn't have a seatbelt on, but I walked away without a scratch. And while I lost my license, I did not lose my life, and that's because I serve a God who's faithful. And I look back at that story and say, even when I wasn't serving God, he was for me. 
Come on, does anybody have a story in their life? You may not have some stones, but you got a story of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Come on, that he showed up and he came. I'm not talking about the big things. I'm talking about the stuff that happens every single day that God shows up in our life and provides and sustains and strengthens and opens doors and blesses and encourages and keeps. Come on, everybody. I want you to know we got to show some gratitude. And the reason it's important to know your story is because your story will give you strength. You start to celebrate your story, man. All of a sudden, it starts to fire you up again about what God has done, about how faithful he's been. And some of you are where you are. Come on, you wouldn't have made it had it not been for God. You wouldn't have made it through the sickness. You wouldn't have made it through the divorce. You wouldn't have made it through the messy breakup. You wouldn't have made it through the complications of life. But you know you prayed a prayer and God showed up and God came through. Come on, and he deserves some praise for the mind-blowing goodness that he shows all of us on a regular basis. Come on, Lawrenceburg. I want for 30 seconds us just to honor God with some praise. Come on, Lawrenceburg and Florida. Come on, if you know that God's been good to you, I want you to stand to your feet. If he's opened doors, if he's provided jobs, if he's given victory, if he brought you through a struggle, if he's healed and restored you, if he's forgiven your sin, come on and give him some praise in this place. Come on and own who he is and love on him. Come on, church. Come on. Gratitude is a catalyst for praise. Y'all can be seated. If you can, you can keep standing and worshiping. I'll preach along with you. I'll preach better if y'all do that every Sunday. So this idea of, of building these stone memorials, these stones that tell stories, it didn't even actually start with Joshua and the nation of Israel. You actually see this back further in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. You see this told in the life of Abraham. Abraham was the father of faith. God spoke to Abraham. Abraham was an idol worshiper. He worshiped false gods. God revealed himself to Abraham, told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your friends, your father's house to a land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless you with a brand new land. And I'm going to bless you with a family, even though you're too old to have kids and you're married to a woman whose womb is barren, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have kids. And what you find in the life of Abraham, and here's just a couple examples of verses you can look up on your own if you care to, but Abraham gets on a life rhythm of building stone memorials that tell his story. In fact, the very first time, Genesis 12, 7, right after God speaks a promise to him, one of the things he does, the Bible says that Abraham built an altar to the Lord. Now, he didn't go out into his woodworking shop and build something. Basically, he found some rocks, and he put them together on purpose. When someone saw the stones, it wouldn't say those are there on accident. Those serve a purpose. What purpose do they serve? They serve a purpose of telling a story. And he doesn't do it once. He doesn't do it twice. He doesn't do it three times. He keeps on building these memorials. He gets in the place where he's not sure God's going to come through. God reminds him of his promise. He builds an altar. He finally has the son of promise, Isaac, that God finally provided for him. And then God tells him to go sacrifice his only son, and he takes him up on the mountain ready to be 100% obedient. Are you ready to be 100% obedient? And in the moment he's getting ready to take his own son's life, God provides a lamb caught in a thicket. God provides a sacrifice in his place, a picture of Jesus, a sacrifice that took our place. And in that moment, you know what he did? 
He built an altar to the Lord. So what I'm telling you is when he got to the end of his life, he could look back over his life, and there were a row of altars, and they each told a story. They each said, God is faithful. God will provide. God will make a way. God will show up. I just want you to know something. It is important, all of us, that the stones, they're a reminder to our story, that we got to remember God's goodness. we got to remember his faithfulness. we got to remember his provision. So let me ask you a question. Can you think about all the times that God's been faithful to you? I know just getting ready for this message, getting ready for this series, thinking about, and probably like many of you, I've been in conversations with people, and someone tells a story, and not trying to one-up each other, not, I mean, I would do that, but not that you all would do that, but you know how you just tell someone, like someone tells a story, like, man, let me tell you my story. You know, I talk to friends of mine who love Jesus, and man, God's doing great things in their life or their ministry or their family. And it'll remind me of a story. Man, God, I remember God did that. Man, I remember God showed up and did this. And you start, and the more you start thinking about it, the more stories start popping on your radar of now 30 years I've served the Lord. And man, God has just continued to show himself faithful. I've experienced perfectly. I've experienced personally Jesus physically healing my body. I've got paperwork from doctors saying you had this and now you don't. I've seen God restore and heal people. I've seen miracles before my eyes. I've got thousands of testimonies over 30 years of ministry from people like you that God has shown up. God's provided. God supernaturally opened doors. God, some of you got checks in the mail and raises and bonuses and jobs, not because you planned for them or you had a way to get them because God was just good to you. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen bodies healed. I've seen this ministry grow over 10 years. Come on, I have stood back and watched it all happen. If I'm honest, sometimes I forget about it. And just like you and just like the nation of Israel, I need to have a memorial of stones that tells my story because I get strength from my story. It reminds me God is good. God is for me. God will make a way. Come on. So I know my story. Do you know yours? Here's a challenge for you. Most of you aren't going to take it. I hope you do. I challenge every, part, every person here in Florence, every one of you in Lawrenceburg, I would challenge you today, today, to make a list of 25 things that you can give gratitude to God for. And some of you are like, oh, I ain't doing that. One of you, the, the, some of you in this room and in Lawrenceburg watching online, some of you that are like, mm, okay, you're already making a list. Like right now, you're like, oh, that's going on the list. Mmm, that's going on the list. Some of you about seven down, you're like, mm, I don't know, what else do I got? If you, can't if you can't think of 25 right now, you ain't paying attention. I woke up with breath in my lungs today. I stood on the platform in front of a group of people that God gave me the privilege to pastor. I get a part in your life. I woke up with a beautiful wife, two amazing kids. I'm healthy. I have no physical problems whatsoever with me. My parents are still alive. Every day is a gift from God. If I'm writing it down, the fact that I have a hand to write with and the capacity to write it and paper to write on, there's three more blessings. Come on, God is good and God is faithful. I'm not addicted like I used to. I'm not a 16-year-old kid making bad decisions. I'm not addicted to drugs and alcohol. Come on, does anybody hear what I'm telling you? Come on, if you can't come up with 25, you ain't paying attention. But if you'll take the time to celebrate specific things that God has done or is doing in your life, come on, the next time you're wondering, will he be there, you can look back at how he was there, and it'll give you confidence he'll show up again. Everybody say gratitude. Woo, come on. Is anybody getting their mind blown yet? God's good. He's good. About three church people in here. All the time. And all the time? Do you believe that? Do you believe all the time he's good? So here's something. I, actually, I was, I was putting together in the beginning of this message and before I went another direction with it, but I thought it still fits, and I, I just want to share it. 
You know, moving from uh, the north to the south, one of the things nobody told me about or we may not have come is fire ants. <laughs> right? I mean, if your yard is like mine, these little nests of fire ants are popping up everywhere. And I just put enough stuff on my yard so they moved to my neighbor's house. <laughs> you know, we got this beautiful thing in the north that's called winter. It kills bugs. Down here, you guys just have long summers and bugs just multiply. So I want you to think about how small an ant is. All ants fire, showing up everywhere. Behind me is a picture of some ants on a man's thumb. takes about one and a half million ants to equal the volume of one man. One and a half million teeny, tiny ants to equal the volume, the size of one person. Think about how small an ant is. Give you something to contrast that with. Think about how big planet Earth is, pretty big place. Seven and a half billion people live on the planet. If you compare our earth to the sun, about 1.3, almost the same number, almost one and a half million earths can fit inside of our sun. So the size of an ant to a man is about equal as the size of our planet to our sun. It's big. We're pretty small on a big earth next to a big sun. Let me give some, maybe some larger context or make you feel smaller. So several years ago, some of you guys maybe who follow, like I love the stars, they're actually up to about a decade ago, there was the largest known star in the universe, the known universe that, that um, people paying attention was, was a star, um, and they have since found a new one. And this is it. So it was... Uh, it was um, Canis Majoris. Now, this is the new one. It's about 30% larger. It's, this, it's a star. It's the largest known star in the universe. It's called UY Scooty. I don't know why, but whoever named that, I could hang out with them. <laughs> we could party. UY Scooty, that's just a cool name. That little tiny speck that's about the size of a pixel compares our sun to the largest known star in the world. You can fit you can fit 4 billion of our stars inside of the largest known star in the universe. Those stars, our sun and UY Scuti, there's about 400 billion of them in our galaxy. There's a picture of it right there, the Milky Way. 400 billion. It's 180,000 light years from one side to the other, the Milky Way. Inside of that space, 400 billion suns and UI scooties. Several years ago, actually it's been a number of years ago, about two decades ago, Hubble Telescope, anybody here Hubble Telescope? Hubble Telescope pointed to a very dark, dark spot in the sky. And the goal was, hey, we're going to point this telescope at this dark spot and we're probably not going to find anything because we can't see anything. And at that time, in 1995-ish, they called it the deep field picture. You can, you can look it up. And what they found was when they developed the picture of Hubble Telescope 
taking a picture of this dark spot, they found all these galaxies. They have since now updated that. This picture is in 2003, I believe, and it was called the ultra deep field picture. They found the darkest spot in the sky where they thought there just can't even be anything there, and they shined it right there, and that's 1 millionth of our sky. I don't know, I'm big, using big numbers. They shined it. All those little dots, those are all galaxies. Those are all galaxies. They estimate that there are 200 trillion galaxies. And each side of each galaxy is 400 billion stars. And those stars are as big as 400 or, or four, 4 billion of our suns. What I'm telling you is I know in this world sometimes you can feel like a speck. Because in this, in this big planet next to this giant sun that's small next to huge stars, it sits inside of gigantic galaxies, that sits inside of trillions of galaxies in the known universe, which means scientists are saying, like, there's no end. It's just continually expanding. And sometimes we feel like we're on a speck. We are a speck, on a speck, in a speck, of a speck. And what does it all matter? I want you to know two things real quick. Here's what the writer of Isaiah said about the God we serve. This is how big he is. In light of this gigantic universe, listen to this. Here's what he said, Isaiah chapter 40. In verse 12, he says, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who else has measured off the heavens with his finger? So you, on a planet next to a star, in a galaxy of stars, in a universe filled with trillions of galaxies, your God is so big, he can hold all of it in the palm of his hand, which means if he can do that, there's nothing too big that he can't do in your life. But here's what I want you to know is, while you might be small in contrast to the greatness of creation, you are great in contrast to your creator because he made you in his image. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He redeemed you, and he declared he's a father to you, which means you may not always feel like he's there, but you're not paying attention because he is on a steady daily basis blowing our minds with who he is, and we'll only see it. Come on, everybody say gratitude. Come on, he blessed you with a business and a bride and a husband, somebody to love you, healthy kids. You may not have three kids. Some of you may not even have kids yet, but I want you to know something. God is blessing you, and he is keeping you, and he is in control of your life. If you will see his providence, it will cause you to praise. God is good. Come on, Lawrenceburg, Faith Church, Florence. Everybody say gratitude. Do you see God moving in your life? Here's what I find interesting is you move in the story and notice he says this in Joshua chapter four, verse two and three, he says this, God, when he gives Joshua instructions, if I was giving the instructions, I would say, Hey, get some guys to get some stones. Just grab some dudes and grab some stones. But God gives Joshua very specific instructions. And he says this, he says, don't just have some guys grab some stones, but he says, I want you to choose 12 men. Everybody say 12, 12 men from each tribe and tell them to take up 12 stones. Why? Numbers are always important in Scripture. The number one is unity. The number three is completion. Number seven is perfection. Number six is the Son of Man. Number, uh, number 40 is the number of testing. The water remained on the planet from the time it stopped in Noah's flood till the waters receded 40 days. The nation of Israel was in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus was tested in the wilderness fasting 40 days. Number 40 is, is testing and temptation. Number 12, everybody say 12. You know what 12 is? 12 stands for government. 
Here's what God was saying subtly to this group of people. He said, I want you to grab some guys to grab some stones. I want you to grab 12 guys, one from the entire nation of Israel. There was 12 tribes make up, making up the whole family. First, he's saying, this principle is for everybody, not just a select few. So I want you to know here in Florence and in Lawrenceburg, I'm preaching to everybody. We all have something to be grateful for. But the number 12 represents government means, watch this, we ought to be governed by gratitude. It ought to be the thing that drives our life. Are you governed by gratitude? Because if we start losing sight of what God's done, I'm not telling anybody you got to build a pile of rocks in your yard, though that would be kind of cool, but pretty weird to your neighbors who aren't Christians. So don't do it. <laughs> don't hold signs that it's the end of the world and don't build piles of rocks. It's the principle of don't build rocks. <laughs> but just the concept of keeping in our perspective the goodness of God. If our life is not governed by gratitude, we will naturally default to taking credit for our life. Because if God didn't do it, then I did it. And what's forgotten is forsaken. What's forgotten is forsaken. If you forget God, you'll forsake God. You know how I know it? This verse right here, watch this. Joshua chapter 2. This is the very next book in the Bible. This is now where you got out of the first five books telling the story of Abraham, and then Joshua takes over. You get to the end of Joshua. Joshua's getting ready to die, and now the nation's going on. And I want you to notice this verse. It refers back to the story we just read. Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to this. It says, after that generation died. What generation? The generation of Joshua and those men who crossed, the nation who crossed uh, the River Jordan. Another generation grew up. Everybody here read this. Who did not acknowledge the Lord or... Remember, come on, everybody, like three. Come on. Everybody, let's read this together uh, from the beginning. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. Remember, I don't know if you know the story, but God told him before they ever got there, God said, you want to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to eat from vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to drink from wells that you didn't dig. And so as they're going in, God said, build some stones that tell a story that reminds you the house you're living in. That's the house I gave you. The vines you're eating from, those are the vines I gave you. The water you're drinking from, those are wells I gave you. And somewhere along the line, the next generation forgot to remember the story. They did, then when they forgot the story, they quit acknowledging God. What's forgotten is forsaken. And now they're living in houses, but I think they thought, this is my house. And they forgot who dug the wells, and they forgot who planted the vineyards. And this is an entire generation that ultimately abandons God, which means our gratitude drives us closer to God. But when you don't have gratitude, it just keeps pulling you further away because you think it's just you and how smart you are and how talented you are and how good you are. Gratitude should be the thing that grounds us, like it keeps me humble. Gratitude is the thing that grounds us. There's one last verse I want you to read. David, who experienced all kinds of incredible things. And this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for me. David said this in Psalm 103, verse 2. He said, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. Everybody say that. Come on, Lawrenceburg, Florence. Everybody say it. Say, Lord, help me to never forget the good things that you do for me.
If your mind isn't blown, it's because you're not paying attention. My prayer for you is today, as you make the list of 25, and this week when you wake up, you go to the job, you kiss your wife, love your kids, look at a picture of your grandkids, hang out with some great friends. Maybe you go to a small group, get to come back to a great church, get to live in a free nation. You turn on a tap and water comes out. You open a refrigerator and there's food. You look up and there's a roof over your head. I pray you'll never forget the good things that God does for you. So Heavenly Father, I thank you today. God, I pray help us to have the perspective that you wanted the nation of Israel to have. Help us to remember our story because it's our story that gives us strength. It's our story that puts in perspective who you are, what you've done, and what you can still do. And I pray, God, let there be an attitude in this house and in Lawrenceburg of celebration for your goodness. And for all of us that are struggling, God, let us believe that you can still make a way because you've made ways in the past. Father, I thank you for all of it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody who agrees that amen.